Like if you were to say, Shane, you gotta go on a desert island, pick one group of people that you wanna be on the island with, I'm picking planners. Like there is, I was thinking about this last night. There is, there is no question that I, I would, I would have a good time. I mean, I mean, they might kill me eventually because I'm not one of them, but they would, at least they would do it strategically. So I enjoyed the process. Hello and welcome to Grow Up, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host Michelle Lee, and today on the show we're catching up with Shane Skillen, CEO at Hotspecs. He's going to share his top five tips from an insights and media leader to a strategist. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Hotspecs for sponsoring this week's episode. As one of Canada's leading research agencies and supporters of strategic planning, they have shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Shane, hello. Welcome to the show. We've been uh, talking about this for a while, so I'm really looking forward to having you on. Um, Love it if you could introduce yourself, tell us a bit about who you are, and uh, then I think at some point we're going to get into your top five tips. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. So great to be here. Got to admit that planners are some of my favorite people in the world. If you like advertising, all good advertising comes from good planning. Uh, so I guess my, my background, um, you know, founded Hotspecs 21 years ago with some partners out of business school. Yeah, our, our original idea was to be more of a media company where we thought by involving people in the design of products and services that, that we would get good feedback around what those products and services could be. And then also because they were involved in it, they would want to buy them. So come get involved in the design of a car, you're more interested to buy the car and design of a new Coke can design, you're more interested to buy the Coke can. So it was getting insights and, and forming a, uh, a media vehicle. Um, it didn't really work. We couldn't get enough people to come come participate in such activities. So we, we pivoted and became a market research company. And it's been a hell of a ride since then. Where did Hot Specs the name come from? It's such a great question. And so the, you know, I get asked all the time. And to be honest, we were 21 years old when we founded it. And it was, you were buying domain names. Um, and you had to find a name that was trademarkable and available. And it was right after the domain rush. So, you know, like, you know, awesome research company.com was gone or, you know, best media ever.com was gone. Advertising.com was gone. So you had to create a, a word. Um, and I had, I had a friend actually at L'Oreal, uh, in marketing. And he told me that part of their secret was to invent a word like prismatic. L'Oreal shampoo makes your hair prismatic. The word doesn't exist in in the dictionary. So you can trademark it and advertise it. So the idea was to create a word. So hot specs came from the idea of hot new specifications for brands and products. And and we've had a lot of fun with it since then. So you talk about the hot side of the business and the hot side is, you know, left brain creative, which is, you know, exciting and interesting and creativity and curiosity. Then the spec side is the specifications, you know, right brain, rational thinking, measurement, um, you know, logistics and, you know, hot specs, the combination of those two things to create creative insights. Cool. And I feel like a lot of our listeners may know of Hotspecs as an insights and research agency, but maybe not as much as a, as a media. So, but you, you know, you said you're going to give us some uh, tips based on being an insights and media leader. So can you talk a bit about that? 
Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I, I didn't have the confidence to, I always knew I wanted to work in advertising. I just think that it's, you know, the greatest industry um, because, you know, it creates the world around us. And I, I mean, I don't know if you've been to Brazil ever or any of the listeners have, but there's no outdoor advertising allowed. And, it just doesn't look good. Like I, I put me in Times Square. Don't put me in, in, in a forest. I mean, I do like being in forest sometimes too, but like ads are what make the world go around. You know, the, the creativity is I think the best part of humanity. Um, you know, I, I annoy, you know, my wife and my kids. Cause whenever we're watching reality TV or sports, we were watching every damn commercial because I want to see them because they're amazing. I think they've grown on them as well too. But you know, the idea that, that you could, you, know, you tell a story in 30 seconds always fascinated me. And then as you, you look at how you want to get involved in that, I mean, we luckily stumbled into something that that was good for us in terms of research, which, you know, to be honest versus, you know, planning and, and, and creativity, it's, it's easy because clients aren't really there to buy anything. You're showing up with the data. So they, they can't refute what you're, what you're, what you're there speaking to them about. And they're always really excited about your presentations and then to go and see those insights go forward, either through a planner or directly to a client and go, go and flourish into profit building activities was amazing. And, you know, I, I, I loved, you know, all the creatives that I met, um, in advertising as well too, but woo, is it ever, as you know, clients, clients don't buy everything. So we, we just decided not to touch that part of it, but the media part was always really interesting to us. Cause remember the first thing we, we set out to maybe be was a media company. And, and so, you know, that, that is really where the rubber rubber hits the road. In fact, I read this amazing stat from Deloitte that every $1 invested in advertising or marketing promotion creates $7 in gross domestic product. And so when you think about, you know, it's a $2 trillion marketing promotion budget, according to Harvard Business Review, uh, globally, that's like $14 trillion in gross domestic products that our industry creates because, you know, we help people understand that they want things and they should buy things. We actually keep, keep the wheels of capitalism going. And so media was always interesting to us. And every year we, we talk to... Uh, and I highly recommend this, that you do this or read about this. Um, two, two interesting things I'd actually recommend is, you know, reading, um, you know, about what CMOs are saying. Whenever CMOs are talking, it's really good to listen to them and figure out what keeps them awake at night. We actually directly speak to our CMOs at our clients and ask them what's keeping them awake at night. And... I guess three years ago, it was all about media performance. You know, are my, are my ads in the right place? Are they working as well as they could be? And we thought we could use our, our behavioral map that we use at Hotspecs and we have across you know, thousands of brands. And most of the time, actually working with planners, amazing planners at different agencies. Um, we thought we could use that to use emotional science to match ads with content. So that if you're feeling inspired based on the content you're watching or you're feeling happy or you're feeling energized, you're, you know, 5,000 different emotional states a human being can go through. If you see ads that are in that same state, the ads will actually work better. So we bought uh, an amazing agency called Wave Digital. Um, absolutely amazing programmatic desk and, and partnered with them to actually create a new ad targeting product called reticle that matches ads with content. So the ads work better and they're less annoying. So when you do that, if it's YouTube 
pre-roll or mid-roll, they're less skipped because someone's less jarred because they're in the same mind state. So, you know, our, our, our life at Hotspex has, has come, come full circle and, you know, we always wanted to be in media and, and now we are. It's been awesome. So, so you've married the content with the right context. Is that, is that right? Is that what you're That's doing? exactly right. Yeah. So cool. we use base based on emotions, right? So if you're, yeah. you, you don't want to show someone a funny ad when they're watching a, you know, a crime thriller, mm-hmm. you want to show them an insurance ad. And when you get that right, the ads work, you know, significantly better, like plus 10 plus 20 return on ad spend improvements. And what we, we really like is that people just skip the ads last because, you know, people will say ads annoy them, but like I said, it you know creates our gross domestic products. I think people are used to not not getting inter- interrupted while they're consuming content. I actually heard on a podcast last week that if you get your kids off Google and TikTok, you'll save them 10 days of ads a year. So you can get your kids watching Netflix instead of Google or TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. You save them 10 days of time and, and ads they're not going to see. But like, look, I, as I've been saying, I think, I think ads are important. I think they make the world go around. And, uh, like, I don't know if anyone remembers watching the movie 1984, like without, without advertising, I just think the world would be a boring place. Cool. So, I mean, since I have you here, you know, a lot of our listeners are strategists or planners. You're obviously in, you know, in the research field. What, what do you think of us, us planners? Um, what, you know, you're going to share some tips on maybe how we can improve and, and be even better and strengthen what we already do. But I think that there's opportunity for a, a really great and fertile relationship between strategists and researchers. I mean, what we do complement each other so nicely. Um, how, how do we best work with you? And, and what do you think about the profession in general? Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, reminds me, you know, I'll call it 18 years ago. I was sitting in cassettes office in a planning meeting with Bill Dernan was leading it with the, I think the planning groups called nucleus. And it was, it was one of the most impressive meetings I've ever sat through where you have these, these planners, which I, you know, later came to know what, what they actually did day in and day out and how they, you know, created the insights and the briefs and, you know, all, I, I truly believe everything starts with a solid insight. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. And just watching that team talk about brands and human needs and how to address those. I mean, I, I just came out of business school, you know, four years of freaking business school. I, think I learned more in that meeting in that one, call it an hour and a half meeting than I, than I did in all of business school. I mean, at least certainly in the marketing class. And you just, you just see, um, you know, just, just the ability to understand human, human behavior. And I was like, wow, like these are, these are, this is an amazing group of people. And then, you know, I've I've had the pleasure of, you know, working with many planners and, you know, that's actually our, our favorite, our favorite client to work with is a planner. So, you know, we do quantitative market research using behavioral science. Planners are looking for new ways for their clients to think about their brands. And we have a methodology where we go and uncover deep seated human needs using marketing and behavioral science. So it's irrefutable. It it is data. It has been called by Procter and Gamble as the best behavioral science toolkit on earth. And we, we love when they say that because, you know, they're, they're essentially, you know, we love Procter and Gamble and they even admit this, they're essentially a chemical company selling the same chemicals as all of their competitors are just very good about branding and telling great stories about it. Because again, you know, the planners that they've 
work with have been been amazing. And I mean, on that note, one of the greatest planners to, to walk the earth, and I've, I've never actually had the pleasure of meeting her, but she was talked about so highly, um, is, is Claudine Cheever. She used to be the, the former head of planning at Sachi, so chief strategy officer there and chief transformational officer. And now she's, she's leading Amazon. She is the chief marketing officer at Amazon and she came up through planning. And I mean, it's really interesting when you think about how Amazon works and all of the different groups and the different causes and, and how that whole machine, and there's a really interesting concept called the Amazon flywheel. If, if your listeners haven't heard of it, but I, you should, you should Google it. Cause when you talk to anyone at Amazon, you say, you know, you know, how did you do it? They're like, Oh, the flywheel. So everything they do tries to spin that flywheel a little bit more. And Claudine is, is there making incredible ads in house. Like they made the best Super Bowl ad last year and, and they made it in house. And She's just got this, this grasp of, you know, how humans work and how to build mental models and how to organize that all across a hulking organization like Amazon. And I got to believe like, you know, lots of respect to creatives and salespeople and account people and finance people. But I just don't think anybody other than a career state of the art, best in class planner could be, could be sitting in that position at Amazon. And then I've got one other amazing person too is, is uh, Georgia Fong. So she's now um, at RBC, she's responsible for brand there. And, you know, we, we had an amazing partnership with her um, helping, you know, RBC figure out its, its positioning and in, in emotional space. And <clears throat> that's then um, come into an amazing um, positioning around making RBC the, the ideas bank ideas happen here. Uh, we were, we were just at Ted last week, last week together, um, you know, just hearing just hundreds of fascinating ideas and what George was able to do was just unleash this strategy and this positioning across, across the bank. What, why she's interesting is cause she, she came out of Queens commerce. I mean, I went to Ivy business school and she went to Queens commerce. I was, I was actually able to get into Queens with, I think I had a 91 average. I still couldn't get into Queens commerce. Um, very, very hard to get in. And what happens when you get there is they want you to go be investment bankers and they want you to go be consultants. And the reason why Michelle is because they want you to have a very high starting salary. And, um, Georgia decided not to do that. She decided like, look, I, I I think I'm going to live a better life, have more impact, enjoy my day in day out. If, if I get, if I get close to marketing and, um, I think his name's Kent Wong, who is the marketing professor there. Just convinced her to, you know, maybe not go get the the big job right out of school, but but work up to it through advertising. And then Georgia went uh, into planning. She was at um, Grip. You know, she went crossed over to client side, and you know, has a strategic mind. Um, you know, almost unlike I've I've never seen. And and just seeing the stories that she created and how she tells them. Like, it's just absolutely amazing. And I, I think all the planners, like if you were to say, Shane, you got to go on a desert island, pick one group of people that you want to be on the island with. I'm picking planners. Like there's, I was thinking about this last night. There is, there is no question that I, I would, I would have a good time. I mean, I mean, they might kill me eventually because I'm not one of them, but they would, at least they would do it strategically. So I enjoyed the process. Uh, and so I, I think that, you know, I, that, you know, it's a, it's a, misunderstood profession because it is a little esoteric, but it's, it's, it's so important and it's, 
you know, like I said, I think it's going to get more and more important because, you know, I just think media and marketing complexity are, uh, are getting, are, you know, just getting to be well, more complex. So Michelle, thank you for you and all you do and all your colleagues and planning, uh, the, the wonderful world of advertising wouldn't be the same without you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for uh, supporting us and working so closely with us. Um, and, and I've always, you know, you've already mentioned some places where you get your inspiration and your ideas from, but I, I've always thought of you as this massive sponge because I know that you are a pro- prolific reader and you watch a ton of stuff and listen to a ton of stuff. What other sources would you recommend or do you think um, would be worthwhile for strategists to look into as they yeah. look to find these insights and in human needs and behavior that you mentioned before? Yeah, I do. I, I do like to read a lot. Um, I think uh, I think it's important. I'm, I'm I'm glad that we have you know the written language so that we can all stand on the shoulders of the giants before us. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great books out there um, about marketing and, and planning. Uh, obviously, how brands grow is super important. I think it's you know it's religion at a lot of our different clients, and um, thankfully within the context of how brands grow written by Byron Sharp. Um, there's this whole notion of, of mental availability and, and that's, that's the planner's job to figure out how do you build mental availability? How do you build top of mindness for whatever brand you might be working on? And you know, how you did that one year might change next year, you know, hence the importance of strategic planning. So really love that book. Really love a podcast called the CMO Podcast by Jim Stengel. So that's actual sitting chief marketing officers actually talking about what's going on with them day to day. Um, and I, I, you know, just I've gotten more out of that I think than in, than almost any other podcast I've listened to. The other thing I'd recommend, one, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, except for this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, your guest your guest list is incredible. I've listened to all of your other podcasts; they've been fascinating. Um, really, really. Okay. Good. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm not going to compete with Jim Stengel. <laughs> as far as guests that he has, he's able to get all these CMOs, and they they, yeah. they, they they sort of talk what keeps them up awake at night. But you hear what they're working on. Um, I, I'd also offer that that if you're think if you're working on a client's publicly traded company, reading the the analyst reports is the greatest. So if you think about what an executive team and a board's job is, you know, they'll say a bunch of things, but it all comes down to how's the stock performing. So is the stock going up or is it going down? CEOs don't get to keep their jobs if the stock isn't performing and boards make those change changes. Boards don't even get to keep their jobs if the stocks aren't performing. You get activist investors coming in. And and they're they're a little hard to get. Uh, but if you can get them and read them, you, you get such a deep understanding of what's going on inside a client organization in terms of how they make money, how they're doing in the competitive context, uh, and how how they're thinking about their their future strategically. And if, if any of your listeners can't get them, I've got this amazing access to them actually through someone that works f- with me. Um, so my, my email is S-H-A-N-E dot S-K-I-L-L-E-N at H-O-T-S-P-E-X dot com. And I just think they're so useful. And I've got so much time for planners and setting all planners up for as much success as they can achieve. That I just think reading these analyst reports is amazing because you've got someone that for three months, all they've done is tried to figure out what's going to happen to Coke stock price or Uber stock price or Amazon stock price. So there are these you know, 20 page reports that dive deep, deep, deep into the business. Have you got one on Twitter right now? I'm, I'm actually really curious. 
I can send you one. Yeah, I'll send you one later today. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Twitter's fascinating. Everyone wants to know, will they let Donald Trump back on it? My bet, by the way, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was hanging out with my kids. I think Elon is a genius unlike the world has seen, certainly in, in a few centuries. And I think he sees the writing on the wall that Trump will probably win the next election. And, you know, it's, it's good. It's good to be aligned with the president. And I, I bet one of the first things he does is let Trump back on that platform. And, um, you know, I, is that, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? You know, solving, this was a talk at Ted last week and I was lucky enough to get together with a few folks. Cause you know, we'll talk about purpose later is one of my tips, but I, I personally am focused on three big things right now. One is the elimination of plastic waste. Um, because we have a, you know, a lot of our clients, consumer packaged goods clients, and we have a new other client that found us that's got an additive. If you put this additive into plastic, it, that plastic becomes biodegradable and that's not a threat to our, our biosphere. I'm also working on a health platform. So using, you know, everything we've learned at Hotspecs around behavioral science, gamification, and in our media tools. So we can, you know, go and make millions of people healthier using behavioral science. And uh, it's been, you know, very fulfilling working on that with a few doctors and scientists and, and some manufacturers of, of various supplements. And then the last thing is trying to eliminate fake news. And, you know, I think fake news is a, is a massive existential threat to, to humanity. Um, you know, it's got, I think 52% of Canadians were somewhat misinformed about, you know, the state of COVID. I'm giving a, you know, a talk to 850 ad buyers at the government, ad buyers, ad executives, people that work in advertising for the government, 850 of them in a few weeks with cassette. And with Rain 43. And that's the thematic is just, you know, the fall in trust because of just the massive proliferation of fake news. And so through our 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 work at Hot Specs, <clears throat> we've we've got a specific set of tools and capabilities where we can build build some things that might eliminate fake news so that my kids, your kids, all the listeners' kids, and all the world's kids aren't subjected to stuff that might not be true because I think that's more of an existential threat than even global warming is. I was fighting with Al Gore about that. Not fighting. We were, we were hotly debating it um, at TED. And, uh, you know, he, he eventually agreed because he's like, look, there's <laughs> climate deniers. Like, Al Gore, there's climate deniers. He's like, yeah, why is that? He's like, oh, yeah, because of the fake news. And I'm like, right? So so that's just one issue. Think of all the other things fake news is going to create for us. Why why is the war in Ukraine even happening right now? I, I, like, people don't actually know why that is. I think I know why it is. You know, I think you ask 100 different people, they might have 30 different reasons why they think that's happening. Wouldn't it be great if there was no fake news? So anyways, that, and by the way, that, that idea comes in from, uh, you know, one of, one of the last resources that I think your listeners listen to. And that's, that's the pivot podcast, which is Scott Galloway, one of the, you know, quintessential marketers and business geniuses and, you know, in our, in our lifetimes and uh, Kara Swisher. I think those two together, I, I, um, find me having, I find myself having a hard time knowing where I stand on an issue until I hear what they think about it. I don't always agree with them, but I always want to know what they think about it because, you know, I think that's what we should all do. And, you know, again, love that about planners. Every planner I run into has all these amazing sources. They send decks with themes and trends. 
And it's like this curious group of people that have this insatiable, insatiable appetite to understand, you know, why us humans do the things we do. Oh, well, since we're talking about insatiable, let's, um, I think we're good with the appetizer. Let's get into the main course. Uh, what, what are your, what's your first tip? How do we, what are your tips for strategists coming from an insight and media leader? Yeah. So again, and I, I'm just going over some of the stuff I've already said already, but you know, I, I think just leaning in to, you know, how great planners can be like, it's almost like magic when the planner get gets up and starts giving, you know, a pitch or a presentation, they're, they're the greatest sales pitches I've, I've ever seen. Um, like it's, it's actually mind blowingly and it's, it's, it's all the planners I've ever run into. I don't know where you go to learn these things. I, I, I hear there's something called the Miami ad school that I learned about on another one of your podcasts, but there, there is just, there's a panache and, and gravitas to how planners pitch ideas. And I just, I think, I think you, you got to know that, um, you know, always people, there's imposter syndrome in any position that you're in, maybe not investment banking. I think investment bankers actually think they are the smartest people to ever walk the earth. But I think in every other profession, um, there, there's, there's, you know, some of that imposter syndrome and, I mean, just, just have confidence that, that you've got it. And I mean, remember you're showing up with insights and I heard this from planners too, where they talked between a fact and observation and insight. And this is exactly what I mean about planners and why they, why they need to exist. So, you know, a fact would be that dogs and cats need to eat food and observation would be that they sometimes and often go eat food when their owners are eating food. And then the insight is that owners feel guilty if they're eating much higher quality food than their pets that they're eating at the same time. And that, that, that's the guiding insight, uh, behind, uh, Purina, you know, our client Purina. And it was a planner that came up with that PNG's whole positioning they're right off, uh, you know, off of right now, our superior framework came from a planner. So my, my number one advice is, you know, know that you are awesome and that you are respected. Um, and keep doing that. A couple ideas on how to, you know, get even better with these amazing pitches. I really like the Ted talks book and you know, I'm fresh off being at Ted. So, you know, I would say that I'm not biased about that is one of my most gifted books is, you know, how to give a great Ted talk, Chris Anderson, the head of Ted, um, you know, documented just the formula to do that. It's amazing. Another really good thing to listen to, uh, and I wouldn't read it. I would listen to it. It's by Oren Claff. It's called flip the script. And he's, uh, he has created a methodology, how to sell anything to anybody. And, um, it's quite good. We've, we, we use it in business. I've used it with my kids. She's, I've used it with my, my wife. Um, she's too smart though. She knew something was up cause I don't normally talk like that. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, a lot of things we actually learn in business to try to bring, see if you can apply them on the home front. I, very rare. I've been able to, um, get something across on my wife. I uh, works well on my kids and maybe in some other groups. But flip the script, listen to it because it's just such a great story and it's a great model. And then we have a lot of success playing this Apple video. Um, and if you Google search this in YouTube, designed by Apple in California, it's a, it's a piano playing, um, revealing the secret to what Apple did to become Apple. And, and I'll just, I'll give it away, but you'll see it. How about a quarter way through the video? Um, you know, how we want to make people feel. 
And so they focus, Apple focuses everything on these four core emotions. It's essentially a planner came up with this at Apple because um, they're planning the brand Apple. And so they're, what are the four core emotions that people should feel when they run into any brand across any touch point? And, you know, I saw that and it, it played at a developer conference. So it's like two and a half minutes long. Um, I forget who their AOR is, but, you know, the same AOR they had, they had for 20 years made it for them. And it's, it's just fantastic. And Apple lives this religiously. Like I, I torture tested it because we, we would go to our clients and say, you know, this is how Apple does it. And so all of our clients were like, well, how should we make our, how should we be making our customers and non-customers feel? And Thankfully, we've got a very comprehensive toolkit that figures that out. So to, to test it, make sure it was true, I started trying to find people that worked at Apple. And I found a battery engineer who's like, yeah, Shane, that's like our religion. You know, connected joy, delight, and surprise. We bring that to life across everything. And even my, my job when I'm designing uh, a battery, I've got to think about how to bring that to life in the battery design. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? It's in the phone of the iPad or the computer. He's like, well, a battery does not decay the way we show it on the battery meter. In fact, the last half an hour of battery life goes extremely quickly. And we could show that in the battery meter, like that it's going very, very quickly, but that would create panic. That would be the opposite of joy. Um, so we don't do that. So we bring it to life across all the things we do. And it's, it's, I've seen a lot of planners play it for clients and then you know play it up, up at the C-suite and board level to have them understand how the world's most valuable company got to be that way through the strategic thinking around how that brand was to make people feel across all touch points. Cool. You've given us uh, lots of things to look into. I mean, I think what I heard from that with all the, uh, you know, sources that you recommended, uh, I think there's opportunity to tighten and really hone storytelling, um, which is, I think, what we do get from, from TED Talks. Uh, obviously, there's some great storytellers out there up on stage. Um, I haven't actually read Flip the Script, but to me, it sounds like it's probably reframing um, problems or challenges, looking at them in a, in a different way. You, you tell me if I'm wrong. And then the third one, figuring out how to make people feel really, really tapping into emotion. Uh, you know, obviously that's a huge unlock, um, for a lot of brands and businesses. hundred percent. Amazing summary. See, see what you just did there. I talked for like five minutes and you perfectly summarized it in 10 seconds so that everyone could walk away with clarity and simplicity around what that idea was. That's why planners are so great, Michelle. Okay. See? <laughs> good, good. I like this interview. Okay. What's your, what's your tip number two? Uh, my tip number two is you can think about, you know, the day-to-day of our clients and, and I hate to use a war metaphor given the fact that the Ukraine war is going on right now, but I will, because, you know, business is, is a war of sorts against your competitors and, and clients, um, you know, chief marketing officers and marketing directors and marketing leaders and salespeople, they, they very much are in the trenches and they are, they're in there in, in hand-to-hand combat fighting every day you know, in store, online, through media, and everyone knows you got to be thinking long-term. And if you don't do that, bad things will happen eventually. And that's what planners role is. And so we, we hear from our clients, a lot of, you know, aid in sleeping, helping them sleep better because they know the planner is always thinking about changing market dynamics and future strategies that might be more relevant and, and always mindful of, of that long-term strategy. And so 
you know, a lot of planners do that. And if you're not doing that as a planner, just know that that is a, that is a hugely valued role by clients and, and one that they, they just, they deep, deeply appreciate and expect from you. Yeah. I think that's really interesting to have, you know, the foresight to think about their business and the long-term planning, what's coming up ahead. I, I don't know if you um, listened to the last episode or if it was two episodes ago, Caleb Goodman, he talked about being a better client whisperer. And and I think there's almost something though in, in making clients feel as though you're in the trenches with them to some degree. I mean, do, do, do you feel that they want to feel as though you're walking with them maybe as well as you know, you're, you're, understanding the challenges that they're currently going through, but you're looking ahead as well. Do you exactly. think that's that? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, and that was a great, that was, you know, that was a really amazing podcast that Caleb gave. Um, <clears throat> so it is that, but I would say that it's more that the agency is in the trenches. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different, I call it, tr- you know, troops on the battlefield. You've got people in the trenches, you've got people doing radar, you've got people doing uh, manufacturing, you've got, all these different functional areas, the planners uh, are, are, you know, I would say 20% of the trenches, but mostly thinking about what's coming. And, and and if businesses aren't thinking long-term about what's coming, you know, that's how, you know, businesses die. I don't don't know exactly what the status, but it's ridiculous. I think like 98% of the companies that were on the S and P 500 a hundred years ago are gone and Mm -hmm. they're gone because they weren't planned well. And yeah. so you need planners. Like you, that's why having Claudine Cheever as the chief marketing officer of Amazon is amazing. So you got a strategic mind thinking long-term in the, she's in the trenches right now, but you know, she's also mindful of the fact that she's got to be thinking long-term because, you know, I've never met a planner that, that doesn't, that doesn't think that way and isn't always, you know, curious around how, how market conditions might be changing, what relevant future strategies could be. Yeah. Cool. Look into the future. What's your tip number three? Um, Yeah, I would say, you know, data, case studies, scientific research. So, you know, we just sit in client meetings. We see uh, ads presented. We see strategies presented. Um, Getting people to buy something. We're seeing it being dramatically more effective when when there's data. And, you know, we come from a place where, you know, we test ads and creatives don't like it when their ads are tested. Um, That said, we actually find that creatives like it when we test ads the way we test ads because we we test them based on emotion. And, you know, we'll we'll green light something like a Cradbury drum and gorilla because the methodology that we do is clients will have decided, okay, these are the emotions we want make to make people feel now, client. You're, you're about to see an ad concept that makes people feel just those things based on this data, because we've pre-tested it using this quick tool with hot specs. And here it is. And so if you, if you set them up with, here's what you said, and we all believe to be important. This is our religion. These, these, these core emotions, what you're about to see is doing a good job triggering those. And here it is. It's easier to get it sold much easier to get it sold because it's based on data versus, you know, that initial reaction that people have when they're presented either a strategy or an ad where it's like, well, I'm not so sure it's, you know, as I think we all know in advertising, it's much easier for clients to say no than it is for them to say yes. So data 
in our in in, in, in my mind, and I'm I realize I'm super biased as I'm saying this because I'm you know we're in the market, but I've seen it work really really well when you know things are quickly tested. And, you know, we're not the only company that has developed these rapid testing capabilities, but it's so quick and easy to test an ad or a tagline or a strategy, like stuff that used to take us two weeks to do, or you know, we're, we're doing it two hours using machine learning. Um, still look at it to make sure that it makes sense, but as 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 ad tech brought a speed efficiency and precision to getting the right out of the right person at the right time at the right price we've had all those advances in what we call res tech so there's ad tech there's res tech so things are just able to, to happen you know extremely quickly and we see that that data working really well the other thing i would say is to show case studies um and i've just seen you know, a lot of a lot of success with people bringing in case studies of other brands that have done something similar so that clients can see that it has something that it has worked. And I see as planners are trying to get ideas across, they, they will, they will show case studies from other brands that have done similar things, hopefully big brands and, and always with a, with an impact, i.e. profit, sales, market share, share of voice, things that the client care about so they can see it. So data and case studies. Yeah, because that's what I was going to like. What if the data doesn't show you what you want it to show you? What if your ad doesn't actually perform that well? Is that when you uh, go back up to tip number one and flip the switch or split the script? Yeah. So so if, if a pretest is predicting that an ad isn't going to work, it's probably a good idea that you don't run the ad. <laughs> that's, 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 you know, ha- has it happened? It's funny. The way... The way PNG evaluates something is as follows. And they, you know, we're very lucky to work with them. Um, they're, they're just an amazing organization. Um, I'm not actually sure I'm able to tell you what I was just about to tell you. But let's just say that most clients, sophisticated clients, have a methodology to pressure test um, a research tool to see if it actually predicts what hap- what, what happens in markets. So I, can't, I can't tell exactly how some of our clients do that. but I would say that, you know, our, our Fortune 100 clients have a very precise testing regimen and validation regimen before they, they rapidly deploy it. There are ads that don't test well that when they do go into market can can perform well. And um, I do feel bad when, when, you know, an agency or chief marketing officer has an ad that they've you know fallen in love with, but it doesn't. It doesn't test well, um, but that's hey, that's why that's why we have testing and why we do it. Hmm. Okay. What's your What are we on here? What's your tip number four? So my four, uh, you know, is really around brand purpose. Um, you know, a lot of clients are incredibly interested in this, and, and it actually comes down to a, a very specific event that happened in history, and that was at the head of BlackRock. Larry, Th- Larry Fink, I think is his name, just said, look, we, we have trillions under management. We are not putting money into things that aren't um, good for the world. So you got ESG, environment, social, and governance. And unless, things are, unless organizations are, are paying tribute and being mindful of that and, and, and making the world, not destroying the world, we're not investing in them. <laughs> and so the, almost every other investment via, you know, investment 
firm followed suit. So now you have hedge funds, pension funds, mutual funds, you know, retail funds, not, not investing into companies that aren't showing that they believe in ESG and I would call it more specifically purpose. So the, the, I call it the shift to purpose. When you get a great purpose, you, you can actually rally your organization around it. Now it's very controversial because, you know, Mark Richardson would say, does it really work? You know, if some unilever were activists, shareholders would say, you know, do you really need to be, you know, make it about making the world a better place when, you know, shouldn't we just be making that bacon sandwich taste better with that awesome mayonnaise on it? And my, my argument is, I think it's great. I think having purpose, I've seen it result in some amazing ad campaigns, but I've, I've really seen it attract amazing talent. And at the end of the day, you know, if you ask a CEO, what's most important to them, they're going to say they're people that like exclusively, they're going to say they're people. And if you want great people, you got to show them what the organizational purpose is and get them to buy into it. Now, Michelle, I know you do a lot of work around this too. I mean, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on purpose. Um, yeah, no, this is a very interesting topic (laughs) and could be a whole episode. Um, but I think that, uh, Obviously, there's some importance in purpose, but you can't just, you know, blindly follow it. And I I don't think anyone really would would do that. But for me, it's about getting the altitude right. I think that you, you know, to to your point before, brand can't just say that it's going to save the world and everything that's wrong with it. Whatever it's claiming to to be or do or, you know, its mission for why it does what it does, it needs to be credible. Um, And I actually just think there isn't enough um, kind of love given to brands that just that just work that just do what they're supposed to do and are awesome at it. Like I have this Dyson that I just, I really like it. I use it to clean my house and it works and I don't need it to bring humanity together. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I think it's uh, absolutely wonderful for brands to have purpose, but I just think it needs to be at the right altitude and needs to be credible. Yeah. So, so agree with you. And also to build on that. So I just, Google Dyson's brand purpose, you know, their, their purpose is to inspire a new generation of engineers. So wow, wow, there you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. Dyson AI is creating engineers and scientists who arguably one day might save the world. So mm-hmm. not only is your vacuum cleaning your dirt around the house, but if you were to buy a competitive one, that competitive one would not be creating the engineers that we need for tomorrow to solve problems like climate change. So yeah. I love that Dyson has that purpose. Like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that will make people want to pay more for it. It's something you can talk about at a, at a cocktail or a dinner party. And I bet now that you know that you like your Dyson even more. But if they told me that they were building engineers of tomorrow, whatever it was, and their vacuum was shit, I would not buy it still. So um, I think think they need to get their, their first things in order, which they obviously have. So that's great. Correct. So, I mean, obviously there are table stakes and, you know, we do a lot of research and a lot of different categories There are table stakes. They're not negotiable. Like a car has to work. It has to stop. It has to be safe. But, you know, like, you know, Toyota, you know, is doing amazing things around the purpose around making the planet better. Honda is as well too. And I think you're going to see everyone do that. Um, you know, again, just cause that's that you, you want to attract great talent. You better tell them what your organizational purpose is or they're not going to work there. 
Okay, I've been keeping track here. So tip number one, just sounds like continue to be amazing and magical, which is probably the best tip ever for people who, you know, suffer from imposter syndrome. So that's great. (laughs) And you had within that, I think, you know, tighten your storytelling, learn how to reframe or leverage that, tap into feeling. Um, You had also uh, be, you know, kind of long-term planning. Uh, Don't make clients just feel like you're in that you're in the trenches without kind of forward looking, uh, use data and case studies, lean into brand purpose. What's your tip number five? Yeah. My tip number five is, is an interesting one. And and there is no tip number five. And I would just offer that my tip number five is that anyone listening to this, I would love to know what their tip number five is to planners on how to be better planners. I mean, I, I bump into planners all the time. Um, also if anyone wants this amazing resource, uh, if you don't have a work subscription, I think most of you should. It's quite good. It's, it's not cheap though. I think it's 20 grand a year, but I will, I will get this and story work for like blatantly saying, I'm going to steal some of your copyrighted content right here, but I am for the good of planners. It's, it's a hundred things a planner should know, uh, written by an amazing planner. And I'm happy to email that to anybody. Again, my email address is Shane, S H A N E dot S K I L L E N at H O T spex.com. And then my ask would just be like, what would be your tip to all all of the other planners? And if you email me a tip, I will send you a $50 Amazon gift certificate. Anybody that sends it, I will send a $50 Amazon gift certificate to. And the best one that I get will win a $500 Amazon gift certificate. Well, well, I have a tip just, you know, while you're here and, and since it's you and the, the one that I thought of was, I think there's a massive amount of opportunity to work more closely with your research partner. Um, I, yeah, because I think that, you know, the last thing you want to do is for me to just like, you know, whip off a brief to you and say, this is what I need done. And I want it done with this methodology. And and this is my, you know, this is my recruitment specs or like whatever it is. I think there's a huge amount of opportunity, um, for us to start as much as we would maybe with our creative partners, for us to start talking early, to think about what the business problem or challenge is, what some of the questions might be, and together we can work together to architect what might be the best approach um, for the research. So I think there's a huge amount of value in that. Be friends with your research. Well, I love I love that you say that. We we definitely like we, we talk a lot about liking to partner with agencies and with clients, you know, to, to get to a win-win. Um, we have just tremendous respect for planners and creatives. And, you know, when, when, when we, we, when something's really not going to work in market, our tests will fail it, but we know, we know exactly how to fix it in an easy way, in a very prescriptive way so that everyone understands why. And we appreciate that, you know, it's a, you know, someone put themselves out there to come up with that idea. Um, and so we really like to collaborate and, you know, that's, that's our, our favorite thing that we hear from our clients and planners in particular is that we're, we're very, very collaborative and we, we help them sell their ideas through and scale, scale their strategies across organizations quickly because it's, it's based on data. And, you know, to your point, Michelle, I don't think that's possible without, without a great partnership. Great. Well, it seems like the the best way to end. And, and thank you for, for coming on the show. And thank you also again for being a big uh, supporter of the APG. We appreciate very much your, your sponsorship. Um, and uh, I know that we're going to continue working together. So thanks again for that. My pleasure, Michelle. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 
Next week, we'll be catching up with Sarah Thompson, Julian Coulter, Fanny Chabot, and Helen Andrulia on imposter syndrome.